Testing, testing, testing. All right. Cool. We're good. Welcome. Hello there. This is the Educated Guest Podcast. I'm Justin, your host. For over a year and a half, going on two years soon, we've been running this show. And I say we because it's been a joint effort between myself, upwards of two or three dozen guests, and the tens of thousands of people who listen for the past year and a half to two years. And that's not a made up number. I see how many people listen and I love each and every one of you. And I love what we've built together. I think that's super cool that there are people that don't even know me and I don't know them that care to listen to my voice and the voice of others that I find particularly inspiring. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We set out a year and a half ago to create an environment, a community curriculum with one mission. And the mission was to inspire, expose, and to educate the next generation of design and art leadership, starting from a grassroots level and meeting people where they are. So in that same vein, today, we have a very special guest. All of the guests are special. We have Dave and Mark, founders, co-founders of Dark Igloo. And I don't, I don't want to give it a name. I don't want to call it an agency. I don't want to call it this, that, and third. I'll let them call it for themselves. They have a lot to say about what it means to specialize or be a generalist. I think you'll love this episode. Tune in. I like this question of like, what do you feel humanity is not doing enough of? Elevating the consciousness of the group, our nation, or your own tribe, or the globe. It can alleviate trauma, stress, bring joy, bring harmony. Yeah, what job would you want to do for just one week? And I'm, I've tried to answer this myself, so I'm curious about what you guys think. Yeah, man, it's interesting because I feel like you immediately go to like your dream, which for me was like something silly, like being in the NBA or like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, yeah. But when I took a second to think about it last night, I was like, it's probably better for me to be like an iPhone assembler in like a, a factory in China, you know, because then I will, I will increase my empathy and be grateful for what I have. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned a lot in life by like traveling the world and seeing what people are happy with in other parts of the planet, you know, uh, as a reflection on like, Oh man, we don't have it so bad. For Our sure. mind just tells us that we do. For sure. Where's the most interesting place you feel like you've been recently? What was that moment that you saw something in a foreign country? And I'll tell you mine. And then you were like, Wow. This is this is out of hand, <laughs> and this is way different than what we're used to. And I appreciate paying taxes now. So, what, what was that moment? I guess being, I went to Burma a few years ago, which you know, Myanmar. Mm. It only been opened up like for a few years to other countries, and like had been under control by the government and the military for so long, uh, or the military as government for so long. Yeah, you know, I was meeting the nicest guys, like some of the guides who were showing us around ancient temples and stuff and like finding out that their houses don't have walls or that there's like four generations of families living in that house without walls 
uh, seeing stuff like that just kind of been like, oh man, stop complaining. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy you say just that area of the world because um, that's a similar experience I had. I saw a lake on fire um, in Bangalore, India, and we were driving over, and it's like foaming that same day, and we're like, wait, is this foam? You know, you're not. It's literally foam over, you know, coming over the overpass of the bridge or whatever. So we're looking out the window. I'm like, wait a minute, is this this isn't normal, is it? He's like, no, no, it was on fire last week, but it's it's okay right now. It's tame. I'm like, what the? Fuck? Why are you so calm about that? Yeah. Uh, so it's it, it's interesting how we like look at, and then I go back to that thing about like taxes, and we look at how we how we uh, pay taxes and how beneficial it is, and like people complain about them. I complain about them all the time. I hate them. There's this uh, Kanye quote. And then you can like get it printed on a mug and it's like an old tweet. He's like, yo, I can't stand taxes. Me and taxes going to fight. And that's like how I feel. <laughs> but that's, uh, no, it's just interesting. Like to hear everybody's like sort of, sort of one job for a week. I think I would want to be a preschool teacher just because I have a kid in preschool now. And I see like what they do each day. And I'm, you know, there's all these like difficult parts to it, but it just seems like so much fun to just be in charge of like captivating and turning on like kids' imaginations, but also starting to like shape it into like, you know, tactical and practical skills. You know, and every day she, my kid comes home and she's like, oh, like we played with foam, we built a volcano, I tried to draw a cow. You know, it's just like it's so fun and like, there's overlaps to even what we're doing today, but um, like in our professional careers as adults, but I see that and I'm like, whoa, that would have been an interesting turn to just like mm. work, work with kids every day like that. I got a question on that, man. That's super interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll ask the question first and I'll explain why it comes to mind. So how do you, sure. deal, how do you deal with praising or criticizing your kids? Because I was reading this book called Mindset. It's by Carol Dweck. She's uh-huh. a Stanford psychology professor. So she's got this she's got this theory that either you have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. And she talks about how it affects like people's long-term development. If you're uh-huh. praised, super praised from an early age and you're like, "Oh, well, they had this study, I'll tell you like my understanding of the study." They're like, "Yeah, like if you have a control group of like 15 students and you give them all a test and say, you know, they all make 98 and you come back and you tell half the class that, oh, you guys did such a great job. You're so smart, period. And then you tell the other half of the class, hey, you did such a great job. You must have worked so hard for this, period. Then they followed, I think, for the next couple of weeks, the childhood development of those same kids that they told different things to. And they noticed the kids who were told, hey, you worked very hard found it easier to deal with challenge and deal with like new things being thrown their way as opposed to the kids who just thought they were naturally better than everybody else. Whoa. It was, yeah, it was pretty mind blowing. So how do you, how do you feel like you deal with that with your kids? It's a great question. Yeah. It's easy to want to praise everything they do because everything they do impresses you, you know, because you've known them since they were a helpless blob. So like, it could be anything from like putting on a shoe to like writing their name. You know, you're just like, Oh my God, you're so smart. But yeah, reframing it, like you said, of trying to like acknowledge the work they put into it is super interesting. 
this is the first I've heard of that. So like my mind is reeling right now, but I think for me, for me, my relationship with one of them, it's, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with her and I, I praise her, but I also think like, I try to just speak with her. Like, um, it's not like everything she's doing is some, some miracle and some gifts she has. It's more just kind of like trying to help her see that, she's this interesting little person that has feelings and like is interested in all these different things and nurturing kind of just whatever. I think the way I try to speak with her, her name is Stevie, by the way, the way I try to speak with Stevie is that um, I'm impressed with what she does, but more overall, I'm, I want to be in tune with and help her be in tune with, with what she's interested in. Yeah. What she likes to do. So it's less like every little thing you do is awesome and more just kind of like trying to figure out what you like to do and steering her down those paths. No, that's spot on. Like I'm, I get hype when I hear about that because one of my best friends and I always talk about this. We were like, you know, when you get to that age where you start realizing your relationship with your parents is less of like, you know, this hierarchical thing and this more eye to eye relationship that you can start seeing through their eyes too. You start either meeting you, you've had like resentment or you have, you know, regret or you have excitement or whatever it is. And, you know, some of the resentment is naturally like, damn, like I could have been five years further if you would just be interested in this little thing. And my friend would put it like this. He's like, yeah, like what if our parents, what if our dad, instead of telling us to like get off the game, because, you know, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a time where it's like Xbox 360 or whatever was like the thing in middle school and, you know high school that shows how old I am but yeah, yeah. <laughs> instead of telling us to get off the game and like stop playing Halo what is it about Halo that is keeping our attention for that long aside from like you know the addictive game things you can do to keep people's attention so that's super dope man super dope so preschool teacher so what is how does that I'm I think it's a good segue on the topic of like reflecting on sort of your life's journey and now your relationship to your parents, your family and moving from sort of that stage of life when you're like learning and counting on others to the stage of life when others are counting on you. I think that's something that is a constant question from 20 somethings. And even hell, like I know some 30 somethings, I know some teens who had the same damn question. So how do you move from counting others, from counting on others to others counting on you? I mean, the others counting on you kind of like leads into the, into the picture i wouldn't say it i wouldn't say you move from it it kind of just like starts to coexist with counting on others yeah from the point of view of like growing up like what you're saying from like childhood to 20s to 30s is like you're you know you're counting on others in the terms of i count on my parents to help me to teach me to x y and z then in your 20s you know you're kind of counting on your friends and people you haven't even met people from books or websites that are kind of like informing this like these goals you have or this path you want to take but as you develop professionally yeah you're still definitely really counting on others because that's like that's your team that's you know your partner that's um your community from the city you've lived in you know you're always going to need other people and including them is what's going to make your work strong and cool and then i think if you play your cards right and you're fortunate then yeah what you said is true too where you have people who count on you could be like really close proximity like a staff or it could be through just the visibility of like websites and work you know people are counting on you to keep them stoked keep them inspired you know show them new stuff share that uh, share that real part of you through your work that caught their attention in the first place so yeah i think that network 
is always there. It just kind of it grows. One doesn't replace the other. Yeah. Did y'all find that that was a consistent thing when y'all were starting the studio? Like, first of all, let's take a step back because I would have, you know, yeah. when people actually hear this, I'll give my little blurb about what Dargic Glue is and all that stuff. But, sure. you know, as I always say, it's always best to hear it from the person who's lived it or the people who have lived it. So what should people know about you guys? Like, what what the hell? Like, what are your names? All that stuff. Like, obviously, I would have given my version, but what should they yeah. know? Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm Mark Miller. Uh, I'm the creative director at Dark Igloo. This is my buddy, Dave. What's up? What Hello. Up? I mean, we say Dark Igloo is a company that specializes. I saw that. That's fire, by the way. Like the way y'all y'all introduced the company on the website. For anybody listening, like just go to the website and check it out. It's a, it's the most. What is it? Specializing in special. What is it? Well, that's the whole thing. It's like we were literally sitting in this spot like 10, 11 years ago, and we were writing our mission statement, and we're like, "Oh, Dark Eagle is a company that specializes," and we're like trying to finish it, and we're like, "No, that's it." Because we want to just pursue what's interesting to us and like make things that inspire us, keep us interested in the, the job. And mm-hmm. We're working together 11 years as Dark Igloo, but 13 years total. Where did y'all first meet? Uh, we met here in New York. We met, uh, we moved to the city for different reasons, but we started working together um, and became homies and friends and collaborators at that job, then became roommates while we worked there and called the apartment Dark Igloo before we started the company here. But yeah, a company that specializes was, like Mark said, you know, we just never finished that sentence because the vision from pretty early on was you want to leave the path of the company really open, you know, like as wide open as you possibly can. So you're never just in one lane of like, come to them for web development. You know, we wanted it to be like, and if, you know, when we look back, it's like there's years where we're like more filmmakers than designers. There's years where we're more branding and creative gurus than we are installation designers. You know, it's always changing and shifting based on the team that's here with us, based on clients we have, based on what Mark and I think would be cool to try out, you know, for ourselves. Just always wanted to leave it open. And there's been times where like people, you know, it's hard for someone to wrap their head around it where like you're literally at the table with them being like, you could come, you could come to us for anything and we'll, we'll figure it out. But there've been relationships where the people who really do get it, get it and run with it. And it's led to just such an awesome body of work and opportunities. I'm super proud of. We haven't known each other long enough to know how y'all each complement each other. I'm trying to figure out both y'all's personalities to figure out how does this thing work? Like how does, you know, who brings what to the table? So how would, how would y'all describe that? I mean, even before we started this company, you know, we worked together at a cool agency in Soho and like, uh, I'm more of like a, I lead teams, you know, and I, I'm a creative director and I can like uh, think up stuff, but I can't really draw. Dave's an amazing storyboard artist. And it's sort of like that all the way down the line where like, I can do really great short form writing. Dave can, was an English major, so he can do really beautiful paragraphs or long form writing. Mm. Um, I do a lot of photo and video technical stuff, you know, like hook up all the gear. Dave can play, has perfect pitch and plays guitar and keyboard. You know what I mean? Like, we're just like yin yang. Yeah. Uh, all the way down. No, that's so fire. Like the, the ability, I, the next question I have, that's like a follow on to what you were just saying is the ability to 
understand what hard work is. And I heard this. All right. So quick story. Um, it's, I, I grew up, like I said, in music. So I follow a bunch of producers on Instagram in addition to all the artists and designers. And it's all one cl- like, clump of people now. It's all the same. So there's a guy named Ilman, and he had this post and he said the too often people focus on, you know, like working for the sake of work and needing to do stuff and got a mind. Da, 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 da. And he was like, yeah, like in actuality, I would hope that people work from a place of joy and work in the name of joy. So I'm curious about when do you know to push through something just because it needs to get done, especially as like. Ultimately, you guys are friends. I imagine like friends before working partners. So when do you both say, hey, like, we just got to get this shit done versus saying, you know what? As the old adage goes, like quitting is not the same as saying I've had enough of this. So when do you all decide to quit? For me, it's always been energetic, you know, like I, we try and there's five, six of us here now in the current studio. Yeah. Um, but like if, if you're bouncing ideas off people and they are excited by it and they bring energy to it, then it's worth continuing. You know, a lot of times if I get the opposite response, like nobody's stoked, I'm not going to keep putting in energy into it. Right. Uh, and that's similar with like releasing something like we use these like, like business card. These are our business cards. Oh yeah. That's fire. Showing in lighters right now. And in the beginning that was just like text on a lighter, you know, because at lunch one day we were like, wouldn't it be fucking great to have like business cards that were lighters? And like mm. everybody always steals your lighter. Uh, but after we put it out there, everyone was stealing them from each other. We're like, oh, okay, people really like this. Let's do another round. And it just kept progressing to the point where like the type becomes designed type because we had more time to version it. And then people loving it more. So then we add characters, so mm. the little penguin and bear characters. And then it just got to the point where we're shooting like with models and like rare, like uh 007 cars, like a huge photo shoot with the lighters because oh, people wow. like that shit so much, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like, but if people are into it, just keep pouring gas on it. Walk away from it. If no one's into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll feel it. And I think from yourself too, you know what you said, I'm just like, um, you know, what, what's, what excites the people around you or I forget exactly how you phrased the question, but uh, you know, there's no faking it. Like when you're working on something, you'll know that like, Oh man, I'm so excited about this. And like, I want to return to this and keep doing it versus, Oh, you're talking about like, when do you quit? Or when you're like, I have to push through this. Like your body will just tell you and your heart will tell you that it's just like, okay, this one, is something that I just have to get done to get to the next phase or to prove myself X, Y, and Z, or, you know, to pay a bill. I feel like creatively, that's probably the most common, like this or that scenario. And like, yeah, you know, yeah, creative yeah. person's life is like, um, this one is super fun and we don't have a lot of money or like this one has a lot of money and it might not be that fun. Yeah, you know, yeah. I wish that tale wasn't as old as time, but that's a very, that seems to be a very common pain point and growing pain on any creative person's journey where it's like you're really trying to balance and figure out like keeping yourself afloat versus making time for the crazy stuff in your head and heart that you know as you start to release it more people will see it and hopefully react to it and hopefully start to hire you for 
more of that, you know, mm. for putting out your own personal funky stuff. For sure. The one thing I'm noticing about you guys, and let me know if I'm, you know, completely missing the mark here, but a vibe that I get from you guys is that you have an inordinate amount of peace about the way that you view your life and your work, your life and in relation to work, in relation to family, in relation to other things. And it's something that is oddly, you know, and sadly uncommon in creative fields. You know, I either notice people have hella energy and that can either be very like, uh, what's the word? Um, have varying degrees of polarity where you're like, either you're hella excited or you're extremely, extremely out of energy. And I'm noticing that maybe you guys have this sense of calm. So what is, and I feel like if I just threw some random stuff at you, you'd be like, eh, well, yeah, you know, we know we've, we've seen that before. Like we know what to do. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so, so I'm curious about if I'm way off base, number one, am I off base? And if, if I'm not, how are you able to keep such a level of calm about you guys, about the way you work? I mean, it's not that there's not challenges or difficulties, right? I think part of that comes with just working together for 13 years. Yeah. Um, but in general, the studio has a very relaxed vibe, you know? Even the people we work with here are maybe even more chill than we are. Mm. Uh, it's not that we don't turn up. Like last last week, two weeks ago, we were all upstate together doing like a an annual retreat. We went to a cool music studio and we were just playing music, like jamming for hours at a time yeah. and getting really turned up. Wait, what, what instrument did, do you play, Mark? Me? I yeah. like a per- percussion, like right, yourself. You know, I use like machine uh, and also video sampling to make like, you know, beat parts of beats or right. overbeats. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah that's the the energy yeah that's a good question i i think part of it definitely comes from familiarity you know of like with each other with the work and with the journey part of it definitely comes from just like the timeline aspect of like once you've been you know there's a comfort that just comes with repetition and familiarity so once you've been a company for 10 years you know there definitely is like a peace of mind that comes from this innate understanding of like okay, we got to floor it on that. Okay, let's get this done, but not sweat it. You know, kind of like the mm. questions you were talking about Yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier. Um, Do you feel like there's a certain written or unspoken list of principles? And if so, uh, what are those? I mean, one that I think that's key to like the, the longevity of the, uh, the collaboration as it were, like, yeah like we agreed on things in the beginning, like, Oh, we don't really want to scale because we've seen what that does and you don't get to touch the work anymore. Mm. So we both agreed that we want to like keep our hands in the work and scale what we do. Not like how big we are. Wait, what does that, what does that mean? Scale what we do. We've watched it happen. Like in the last six, seven years, we've been working with Giphy and lockstep and sort of built like a international, like global super brand. Um, while remaining like a small group of guys or a small group of guys and gals, you know? Yeah. I think ideally, yeah, you want to be able to scale like the, the reach of your projects, the impact of your projects without necessarily, and it'll be a different decision for everyone. But for us, it was without having to make the compromise of scaling up, like the amount of desks or how big Mm. the studio got and tangentially how separated, you know, we would get from it. 
you know, yeah. in terms of just like, oh, we don't work that much anymore. We just loved the work. Mm. And for us, the more interesting thing was like, could you grow a small team of like really talented and specialized people around you where like you have the thrill of like watching them do good work and like, you know, you're still really close to it and can shape it or can just appreciate it and be impressed by what they're pulling off versus okay. like we're both running a studio like full time and like, you know, far from it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of principles, we've had, a you know, we've had a lot of like taglines and catchphrases and things that have all kind of been principles over the years. The, probably the first one was on the horizon, you know, it was dark igloo on the horizon. And that was kind of this always like looking forward optimism of like what's coming up or like, where do you want to go versus like, where are we now, you know, mm-hmm. or where do we, you know, I think there's always this kind of like, there's a benefit to at least thinking about, even if you don't have like a two year long, like Gantt chart of like, where do we want the studio to go? At least thinking of like, Oh, I saw that and I, it would be cool to get there. So like maybe it's like one step I can take towards that goal. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a shared vision of the future. Mm-hmm. It's funny because this will probably end up being like roughly the 60th episode. So if it Ooh. ends up being a 60th awesome milestone, but the, out of 60 episodes and you know, roughly half of those have been interviews. The only people that have ever mentioned a Gantt chart are you and Archie. The only people. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. what is what is your perspective on this Gantt? Because I want to move into like uh, some of the next topic here in a second about like impact and service and being of service. What is the what is your opinion on a Gantt chart? It's like the most consulting process oriented thing. Like what the <laughs> Yeah, the Gantt the Gantt no chart comment. to me represents uh, it was just like he's a really good friend of ours, but it was it was one of our first jobs. Um, our friend Randy came into that, came into this company and he was charged with like organizing everything. And he just made this really crazy Gantt chart. It was the first Gantt chart I'd ever seen. <laughs> only one I've ever seen since, but it was this like two year long crazy calendar. And it yeah. was just like, For to, to designers, it was like meaningless. You know, it was more <laughs> like a texture and a joke. You're like, seriously, it yeah. was just, just such like- a long, like taped together printer. Pages. Yeah. Did y'all print it out and put it on the wall or did he print he, it? Like out? had it up. And he's yeah. Like, what do you, you know and it was yeah it was like looking at the matrix it was like i don't know what i don't know what that is I think it's like <laughs> photos in front of it or something but uh, yeah an analog tracking system yeah nothing wrong with the gantt chart but it was a uh, it was just a different it was a different way of of viewing things it was so high level that it was hard to comprehend mm. but at yeah. the same time it was so well organized that it was like damn i wish i could get that organized that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> you've seen that far ahead yeah yeah do you can i touch on one other principle yeah, yeah. We have, it's kind of key to understanding i think we got yeah. a few we should share yeah uh one i think even like for us over time like just the 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 name of the company itself the igloo like um became this principle in this way of thinking like we've given talks before where it's called building an igloo or brick by brick but you know the igloo as a structure is uh, represents like you're surrounded by ice. It might look like you're totally screwed, you know, but there's a way of using the thing, taking a closer look or a second look at the things around you and realizing that there's something that can be done from it, you know? So it's like, Oh, I could, I could build a structure out of this ice. I could X, Y, and Z. And that over time has just like represented this way of thinking of you have a studio and you're doing these projects and you meet someone and let's say they're like a special effects makeup artist 
and there's one view of there's one view of that situation where it's like cool i don't i don't do that or have a need for that mm. or the other view is like oh that's interesting how can i work with this hmm. you know and it's just a way of involving the people around you it's a way of building a community looking at your community building a community but it's just kind of like the igloo is this way of thinking of like everything around you is fair game every talented person you meet is a potential collaborator so just like keep that in mind and try to roll with it well i think also everything around you has value like for me that came from the early days of like you don't have much money but you could afford to spend like five dollars on a piece of junk from like a junk store and like mm. what we do is all about connections so if you can find something that inspires you and then you know make work with it in some way you're like sharing what you see with other people regardless of your budget mm. and that's really anyone can take that path it's just not visible yes yeah yeah i'm, the, I'm looking out the window right now just kind of like reflecting on that and how it applies to because there's <clears throat> i've noticed a trend in um I don't know a metaphor off the top of my head right now, but I've noticed a trend in my life of that principle being very applicable is that, you know, when the least, when the resources are limited or you're forced into creating from a limited set of resources, it almost becomes more like scarcity yields better results. And, you know, maybe there's like some deep economic theorem you could like put together to, to prove that out. But, you know, I guess that's like the basis of capitalism is scarcity. So when you're looking at it, it's like, damn, I, I love the idea of adjusting your, your viewpoint and what's around you and being able to recognize it as something that could be constructed as, um, constructed as something new and which is, and moreover on that same point, I think that's like the most human quality that we possess because a computer can, can really only predict something in the future and share a vision of the future based on results of the past. Yet like the most human quality is the ability to imagine some of the most human qualities, imagination, creativity, um, your subconscious and how those things like billions of years of evolution and how those things compound. Mm -hmm. So like that principle, man, like that's why I had to stare out the window for a second. I was like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, man. It's like cultivating, listening to your inner voice. And like Dave touched on another one that's brick by brick. And for us, that means like, you know, no matter what you're doing, like make it as perfect it can be as in your mind, like whether it's for $5 or $500,000 mm. uh, and just put it in line, you know, and just build that wall. And like the first four years of us as a company, we didn't have a website, man, because we were trying to do so many types of work. We didn't want to found our company on work we've done for anyone else. So we were just kind of quietly toiling, just making perfect bricks, building our own igloo, and then finally shared it with the world. And like people really picked up on it and asked us to do more of the same because it's more of a vibe than like a service offer. Mm. How do you feel about legacy of the studio? What do you mean? What do we? Yeah. What do you mean? What do you think? What we think? What do you think we think? So when like I how, think of when I think about legacy, what I mean here is when you guys are gone. And when we were all gone, what do we hope this little fragment, this little, you know, grain of sand as a point in time that is, you know, whatever we're creating, whatever we're working on, whatever we are or were, what do we hope that that ends up meaning to someone 50 years, 80 years, 150 years in the future? Awesome. Wow. 
uh, I'm hoping that it's a source of joy and inspiration for well, whoever that future person is or those future people may be, cybernetics and all. <laughs> um, and I hope, you know, I think my hope for the studio is that, like, you kind of have to, like, search for it a little or, like, someone has to tell you about it. Yeah. You know, like, you have a cool older brother or something who, like, you know, I just think about, like, um, <clears throat> yeah, like, when your friend, like, kind of everyone knows Superman, but then your friend gave you, like, an X-Men comic book when you were a kid, and you're just like, oh, shit, this is great. Or, you know, like, everyone knew, like, who the top of the charts is, but, you know, someone gives you, like, that band that mm. once you start to listen to them, you're like, oh, my God, this is awesome, and I see, like, what this meant to a lot of people. I think, like, that would be my dream legacy. Mm. Yeah, I think also like a, a bit of like telling people to pursue their dreams and like listen to their internal voice, like invest in yourself. You know, we try another studio like mantra we have is 50 50, which is one of the hardest ones to hold on to. But it's the idea that like half the work you do should be for yourself. Mm. And in yeah. the beginning, that's like after work, you know, uh, making a collage or like taking a photo or doing a drawing, whatever you want. But for us after 10 years, it's kind of scaled to the point where we like, we shot a short film for like two weeks and like made crazy art cars and like, uh, shot out of state with like 10 or 15 of our friends. And it's just like, that's ridiculous. You know, like how mm. did, how do we figure that out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, so when you, you brought up short film and, I'm curious about what, what the short film was because I have like thoughts on that. What was it about? What Can it's I, all about. <laughs> mm. Can you uh, tell me more? So that project, I was going to bring it up. You had a cool question here of like, when have you worked hardest in your, harder than ever in your life? And it was definitely one of those circumstances. But uh, the project we're talking about is called Duality Derby. But in the beginning, it, that wasn't the name, you know, it was just a seed idea of like, uh, I grew up in the country going to County fairs every year and would go to a demolition derby. And I was like, Oh, that's a bucket list thing, man. I gotta, I gotta enter demolition derby mm. pitched it 10 years ago at the company we were working at, but we didn't have enough control at the time. It wasn't the right place, right time. So it didn't happen, but it's always been there in the back of our minds. Uh, and finally in the last couple of years, pieces fell into place where we have engineers who could help us like build the cars. Uh, you know, we're doing well enough that we could fund it ourselves. Uh, and we set out to make this insane project. You want to help me fill in some details? Yeah. Yeah. So the duality derby was, uh, like two art cars. Um, we'll send you some pics, but yeah, there's a, there's basically a, a black car and a white car and they're covered with like logo flips and the white car is covered with, the positive side of life. So it has mm. a Gatorade logo, but it says gratitude. Uh, oh, the wow. good your tires say good vibes. Um, it's covered with stuff like that. Mm. Uh, the dark car has a Red Bull logo, but it says resentful. Um, Holy the, shit. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. tires say bad year, but it's just like basically the two sides of life, the yin yang but they're two cars and the demolition derby was like in order to really understand yourself or live a full life, you have to accept these two parts of life and yourself. So we smash them together. Mm. 
his cars. <laughs> that's like that's the conceit, you know. It's like yeah, demolition derby yin yang. But then, so the film that Mark was mentioning was we made this um, fake, this fictitious race car driver character called Victor Elaine, and he drives both cars. You know, when he's in the gratitude suit, he looks super happy and is like working with his team when he's in the resentful outfit, he's like egotistical and is super rude and chain smokes. <laughs> um, and the film is about that driver, those two drivers like locked in eternal, <laughs> you know, combat, like it's the same guy coming to terms with each other and being like, Oh, we need each other. We're the same dude. Yeah, and it has themes of like interconnectedness. Uh, a lot, a lot is spoken about perspective on life, you know, and Damn. if you look, life like we talked about earlier through a lens of gratitude mm-hmm. it makes it easier to get through the day uh you'll be healthier um yeah and it, it's it's a fun project we could talk about it for four hours <laughs> yeah um, there's so many yeah. layers there's so many layers led to um it really did just from being close to it and working on it and i think something that we hope you know people will get from it which is like pretty simple was like you have these two you have these two drivers inside of you all the time, you know, like your, your mindset and your heart really has one driver's seat. And it's like one of them will take the wheel in any situation and they could switch many times a day. They could switch many times a year, but just that, that frame of looking at things, it's like, okay, am I like, am I wearing the gratitude suit? You know, and I'm, I'm just like happy that I have work to do you know, or am I in the resentful suit and like, my God, this sucks. I don't want to be doing it. Mm. No, it's that, that mode of thinking and that duality has been around since, you know, these helmets are fire. Mark is showing us two helmets right now. (laughs) I'm a maven, man. I can't help but show you the shit. (laughs) (laughs) This is fire. This is so dope. Like there's bad year versus good year. Confusion versus, yo, I'm looking at something that what does it say? Pride and prejudice. That's interesting. You put pride on the on the gratitude helmet. Why do you think that? Well, uh, oh, um, I mean, personally, I'll say I put it there because we have members of our studio that are, you know, homosexual, yeah. and I come from a part of the country that's, <laughs> you know, a lot of people. It's a red state, you know, I'm from Indiana. Mm-hmm. Religion sort of preaches intolerance, whereas we want to suggest the opposite you know inclusion yeah except love yeah that's one of the best things yeah is empathy and acceptance so pride is on there in that sense and also pride like yeah i guess pride could be a double-edged sword depending on how you think about it but i mean being proud of what you do is a great i think that's a sign of like a life well lived or a career path that you know doesn't even have to be in the creative arts. If you're proud of what you're doing, like that's a really good thing. And that isn't necessarily ego. Yeah. You know, I, I asked the question because I'm like, you're a perfect guy to ask this to former English major. Damn. So I've got this, I got this theory called linguistic relativity and uh-huh. it's very similar to like moral relativity where people are like, Oh, well, you know, I can cheat on my wife twice and that's okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So um linguistic relativity is when people into my in my opinion start redefining words as something new pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. and i see this exit you know pretty commonplace right now like strength meaning when people say stuff like well vulnerability is the new strength 
And I'm like, is that really healthy for us to be saying that? Because strength, why can't strength just be the ability to move something that's heavy to another location or being able to push something that was, you know, unexpectedly heavier than, so it's like this, we're kind of going through this new, um, this renaissance, I don't even want to call it a renaissance because I don't know what the end of it's going to be, but I was just new age of questioning everything. And it's interesting. Virgil has this rug or I forget it was a blanket or something that said question everything on it. It was a flag. And I looked at it. And for the first time, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of his work for the first time I looked at it and I was like, I don't know if I agree with this. (laughs) And you know, that's what made me ask the question. It's kind of ironic because I run a show where I literally all I do is fucking ask questions, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, it makes, <laughs> yeah, it makes me look at that helmet. I'm like, okay, is pride and prejudice. Are those two, are those on opposite ends of the spectrum? You know, is pride truly the opposite of prejudice? That's the thing, right? Cause it's all relative and everything's interconnected. So it depends where your headspace is at or what you're dealing with at any given moment. Um, things just are, and you know, and then we put labels on them. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a, that was a, an important part of the project too, was that kind of like, just that kind of like invisible question mark that's floating around the whole thing <laughs> of like, that's great that seeing the helmets made you think about something yeah. yourself. Birds. You know, that's like the best we could hope for like when people encountered the cars, like they would be stoked on seeing like an eighties NASCAR with cool logos and like love it. But I think just like lingering and reading it and like spending time with it, they were really like, uh, it left room for them to think about what it meant, you know, for them. And that, that's, Mm -hmm. that, that is like the project firing on all cylinders. It's like, Oh my God, we made something that, we thought of it looks awesome and when people see it they think about mm. their own life it's like that's the full circle of like damn mm-hmm. perfect project yeah i've got i've got like two or three more questions just kind of keeping track of time here the yeah. oh, we got time too i know we were kind of elaborating on certain questions if you got time we got time i got time <laughs> let's do it um so i want to hear y'all's thoughts on this topic because i was reading Surface Magazine is one of my favorite magazines. Um, I would love to do the partnership with them. For anybody that has anything to do with them, I would love to do a partnership. But Surface Magazine, if you're listening, if you're listening, <laughs> so, call this man. <laughs> so Surface the, did this article on Ivy Ross. I think Ivy Ross is her name, but she's head of um, let's let's say head of ergonomics for Google uh, Industrial Design. That's not the formal title but I have no idea what people's former titles are anymore. So let's just call it. She's in charge of the ergonomics and like the aesthetic of all Google products, physical products. So I'm reading this article and she came, she had this, this idea. God, it's about to, I need to hold on to it before I lose it. But I think it's called, God, I'm just going to look it up. I'm going to look it up live on the show. We're looking it up. Yeah. So Ivy Ross aesthetic. Uh, golly. And I'm not, okay. Neuroaesthetics. I, I want to get that word right. Neuroaesthetics. So mm-hmm. she likens this, this experience of trying to prove out why a certain design is better than another design to the healing techniques being used and proven out at, you know, Johns Hopkins, uh, for 
like jazz music being used for therapy uh, in geriatric centers and, you know, postpartum depression being treated, treated through light design. So this topic of like neuroaesthetics, I think is perfect in contrast to something that's more like, hey, let's optimize this website to get 15 more clicks in an hour. And that's something that I'm right in stuck in between the crossroads of because it feels like, shit, if I want to live a life, you know, that includes eating most restaurants where I want to go and like taking a vacation with my family, then maybe I have to choose the option where I have to optimize websites as opposed to, you know, more of like a, a classical approach to design where it's like, let's just talk about the philosophy behind why this is beautiful and how it might be healing. There's no real proof, but let's talk about that. So neuroaesthetics versus optimization and like, uh, let's call it productivity, pragmatism. There's room for both. You know, I think one's just a harder road. Like I have a really good friend who her job is super obscure and she'll just fly into other countries and like remotely help a community with some strange problem they're having, you know, like you could have that job. It just might take a while to get that groove. It's easier to optimize websites because there's a lot of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody needs that guy. Uh, we've kind of dug our own niche in that where we do serve, we provide a service, mm-hmm. traditional design and branding. Uh, but that has allowed us to do something like the Derby project where we could take a week off where we're just literally standing by these art objects and helping people open up their hearts and like, think about their life in a new way, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It'll go back and, you know, it'll go back and forth. Like I, you know, I think there's like this stigma for like a creative person, especially in your twenties where like you're weighing these two things, you know, the duality of, of projects of like, high paying project, passion project, this and that, you know, and there's this kind of like creative guilt of like, Oh, I'm doing like a, you know, I'm not doing enough personal projects or like, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay. It's okay to like have periods of like focusing on your financial independence. Cause that leads to your emotional well being Cause you live in America and you need money <laughs> to, to like be happy and alive versus yeah. like, periods of like really fruitful personal creative exploration where you have time to do those things and you're doing them. And that road is really like clicking and groovy for you. You know, and I, I think like there's the perception of like, you're not doing a good job if you're not doing enough of like from one column or the other column, but like having both, you know, in the spirit of the Derby, it's like you need both of those things to like, Mm to inform one another and um, shouldn't feel bad about that. And I also, you know, the neuroaesthetics thing too is like, maybe that's a little, like, that's cool. That sounds like a a great job. You know, I'm sure there, like she has decisions that are, that like come out really clean and smart and like altruistic, but then get influenced by some kind of like sales number. Or, you know, there's another team who's like, we can't put that button on the phone. (laughs) Right. It, it all goes, it all goes together. I think as long as you're like mindful and tending to those two sides of you, it's like, you can be okay. If you just fall into one and let go of the other, that's when it, um, I think in terms of like the money-making thing that could be problematic for your creative side, but you know, the other way to do it is cool too. If you throw yourself completely into your art, you know, yeah, you might fucking do it or you might cut your ear off. 
You might do both. You might be super famous and cut your ear off. <laughs> Don't know. It's it's all right. So I love the conversation we're having, and I feel like I can ask this question to you guys and get like a uh, and have it not throw you off completely. So let's see. I've been listening a lot and reading a lot of uh, like economic theory and stuff like that. To some, it's really boring stuff, but I think it's just interesting stuff to understand. And one. One one guy that I go to is Ray Dalio, and he runs, uh, I guess he's a former head of this company called Bridgewater Associates. It's like the largest, it's not like the, it is the largest hedge fund in the world. Uh, managing like, it's, I'm not going to get the number exactly right, but let's call it like $20 billion in assets. Um, so what, what was interesting to me is not so much like the fact that he is the 17th richest man in the, on the, in the world. But more so his perspective on modern communism versus modern capitalism, because he I bring all this up because he sent his his kid. I'll tell a little bit of backstory. He sent his kid to study abroad in China throughout middle school. And what he learned in that process was like, oh, well, I learned a little bit more about how this communist machine actually works. And not saying I'm sitting here to be a, a communist for anybody who's like super you know, against that. I actually don't know where I stand. I don't really know much about it. My question to you guys, do you agree that government should like intervene in like major, major product innovation and stuff like that? There's this company called Huawei I just learned about in China and they, they make phones, 5G technology. And it, in theory, if the government invests in that, it would be far leaps and bounds ahead of whatever, you know, private companies can do. Or do you, are you more in favor of like, oh, well, let's let Google just figure that out and hopefully we'll trust them. What do you, what do you think? Do you think the government should intervene or not? <clears throat> intervene, intervene, meaning like put money behind the product. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not an expert on capitalism, so it's hard for me to really comment, but uh, I know a lot about that phone company mm. <laughs> uh, and I, they're already leaps and bounds ahead of people just because of their culture's obsession with self alteration, uh, cosmetically and digitally. Uh, I think it will give them a, perhaps an unfair advantage globally, but what's fair, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they're a different entity. Yeah. It's a great question. It's a, it's a really good question. And like through the lens of our time, you know, current timeline, it's hard to, uh, it's so hard to say, you know, because like, it's like your linguistic theory earlier, you know, government to some people might be like, yeah, man, like they made the national parks fucking love the government. Like I would love them to get more involved. And I think there's other people where it's just like government's great. Government's hard for them. Yeah. They've been corrupt forever. Like they don't, you know, they want the money. They don't care about your healthcare. Like, you know, it's just like, I don't know if you want the government involved in anything. And then in terms of like private sector inventors, you know, Elon Musk is killing it. You know, he's like the, he's like the Bruce Wayne of our time where it's just like, yeah, he's inventing trains. He's going in outer space. Like, God, I wish there was more Elon Musk's. And then there's, you know, just kind of anyone else, you know, Zuckerberg is probably like the other like great foil to him. Like Mm -hmm. Lex Luthor, just like stealing your data, like (laughs) sending your auntie weird memes. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, well, there's a great example where, like, I'm happy the government is at least trying to step in and, mm-hmm. like, slow down the damage that's being done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe on the upside, it's like, 
yeah, great. Help them make cooler shit. But as soon as it, there's some dark outcome, it's like, oh no, what did we do? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's examples of each case going well, and there's examples of each case being super bad news. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, in terms of like, yeah, big question. Yeah. In terms of like design and, and government, I guess like it would be cool to have more, you know, like, beautiful airports rethink the roads just like the role of design in our cities yeah i think living in new york you know we've for the last 13 <coughs> years we've had a great stretch where we've gotten to see like no more cars in times square mm-hmm. like let's turn the abandoned train tracks into a park called the high line you know there's been this really nice thing where it's like infrastructure and design kind of like interweaving and like helping the people redefining what the city can do redefining what it means to walk around in the city like that's that's cool and if that kind of thinking could be applied nationally or like on a product level that would be super duper tight mm. yeah yeah i would agree i would agree i think there's a lot of uh i'm on this end of the spectrum to what you're talking about dave on the end of the spectrum of longing for more culture cultural institutions and I think that like the private sector is bloated with people that really, you know, nobody really, there's an old saying that and I don't know how old it is, but <clears throat> um, someone said, Hey, you probably shouldn't start a company unless someone asks you to. And that's a whole nother like line we could go down. But anyway, the point, the point I'm trying to make is that cultural institutions I think are going to be some of the most important markers for like the way that we live right now and like what that means 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. And I'll use an example. <clears throat> uh, there's a guy named Scott Belsky. He founded Behance and yep. I was listening to an interview from him and he was talking about his interaction with, uh, with John Maeda and he was like, yeah, you know, John is a mentor of mine. And I got, after selling Behance, I started sitting on a bunch of these boards. And one of the boards was like the Cooper Hewitt board. And he was like, yeah, you know, we're at these meetings, super long and drawn out, lots of pop and circumstance, just Robert's rules of order, all this stuff. <laughs> and he was like, John, how do you do this? And John looked at him and, you know, he's like, hey, I love, I know what you do in your startups and all this stuff. And, you know, the only difference is that your startup won't be here in 30, 40 years. A lot of these Cooper Hewitt is 300 some odd years old. Yeah. And let's think about what it means to push, to add a, to, again, back to one of your principles of the studio, what it means to add a brick to the building versus the joy and perhaps like the hubris of building the entire building yourself and saying, Hey, look, look what I built. Mm-hmm. I don't quickly. Know. Yeah. Super quickly and then selling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I get, what do you, um, this is the final question I have for you guys. Uh, we've went, we've gone so many different directions, which I love. It's no, in no particular order and kind of like <laughs> we are a studio that specializes. I guess this has like been true to that. This has been a podcast that has specializes or has specialized. <laughs> Uh, so what coaching advice would you give to like the 17 year old versions of yourselves respectively? And, you know, how do you feel that that would tie into where you're at right now? 
if you had to mentor the 17 year old you? Hmm. My gosh, you're, <clears throat> yeah, your, your talents, your talents, especially the ones that bring you joy are super valid, you know? Mm. Yeah. Your talents are valid and they're a path to doing things that make you happy every day. I think what's 17 high school. Yeah. It's like junior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think unless you come across like a great, like art teacher or like an English teacher from a movie, you know, I think it's kind of like, you know, like the creative mind and just like doodling on your pages or like starting a band with your friends, you know, those are kind of like frivolous and fringe activities, but it's, you know, I, for 17 year old me, the game is just like holding on to that stuff, finding venues for it. Um, Cause that leads to like drawing shirts for the water polo team that leads to more and more. And mm. I think if I could talk to me then I would be like, pay even more attention to that stuff and chase even more of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I think I'd probably give the same advice that I actually received around that time. From, from I was lucky enough to have like a good journalism teacher and a yes. good art teacher. And they just, in, in their own words, said like, this is possible, you know? Because mm. I remember when I was younger, say 13 or 14, and having people come through schools and they had a creative job and they'd be like, it's too hard. It's so competitive. Like, you know, maybe they had a rough lot and they're kind of projecting that on the next generation. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I mean... My, uh, my dad actually passed when I was younger and he left me a bunch of cameras. Mm. So naturally I just started playing with those cameras. I was making videos like stop motions of Legos, shooting my own narratives, whatever. And just for fun. And, and a teacher saw that and was just like, Oh, you can go to school for this, you know? Mm. Uh, so I think just telling young creative kids that like there's work and there's a, a life that can support this practice. Because at least where I'm from, it doesn't seem possible to a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Wow. Ugh. All right. So is there anything else coming out coming from that moment? I want to like give that moment its, its due. Um, coming out of that moment, is there anything you want to share with the audience and... Maybe it's about a project you have coming up. Obviously, you've talked for, <laughs> at length about a project you have coming up. Is there anything you want to share? It's like shameless plug, unshameless plug, that sort of thing. No, man. If to anyone listening, I would just say thank you for listening. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, I would say just like if you're out there listening to this and you have more questions for us, like we're pretty transparent guys, so you can just email the website, you know? Mm. Yeah. Thank you again for taking an hour of your afternoon, of your evening, of your morning. I don't know how you listen to it. I mean, if you if you I want to I want to shout some people out on some future shows. So feel free to DM educated underscore guests on Instagram. Or you can DM me directly at Justin McElderry on Instagram. How about this show, though? I think it was an incredible conversation that 
had no particular specialty, had no particular focus. I think that's something that will hold us back is the fear of being general, the fear of being explorative, the fear of being curious. These three fears, these three subjects of potential fears are the limits of our creativity because those are the very things that make us human, the non-linear connections we're able to make, the curiosity we have about life. Put these together and if you're struggling with worrying about what your studio is gonna be about, what your life's purpose is gonna be about, what your work is even about, consider the most human qualities about yourself. Consider your story, what makes unique what makes you uniquely you? And as you go forward, continue to remind and keep reminders of all these different facets of your life. And I think that's what's incredible. Check us out. Continue to stay engaged with this community at educate <laughs> beat stop. And I'm it's all good at educated underscore underscore guests on Instagram. And if you want to connect directly with Dave, with Mark, feel free to reach out to them on their Instagram as well.